And welcome to the Heart God Media Podcast. I am your host, Jesse HS, and today we are covering the Goonies. Uh, this is a segment, or I shouldn't say segment, I should say a series, a monthly series we are doing here now at the Heart God Media Podcast called Legacy Week. Now, Legacy Week will be an entire week covering the Goonies. Um, so, out of respect to all this insane but helpful protesting uh, that's happening right now across the United States. Um, It was going to be a four-part episode. We've changed it to a two-part out of respect to uh, the the movement that's going on right now and this cultural shift that we're seeing in the country that uh, we're obviously all in favor for and uh, try to try to uh, you know be respectful by not airing for all four parts and we've condensed this down into two parts covering all four parts um so with that said uh today we'll be covering the origins and the cast and then on the next episode it will be the story and the legacy of the goonies 1985 film that sunday july 7 2020 it will celebrate its 35th birthday coming out on june 7th 1985 uh what a landmark film uh and again we we always talk about how multiple movies that have impact bridge several genres so when we have you know action adventure comedy you know and even calling it a kids comedy i think uh while it is uh you know there's so many adults that still love this film and will continue to love this film uh growing up on it me personally i think it is probably one of the most important things about uh one of the most important films about friendship uh, you know, where where you uh, stand, do you stand by your friends? And that couldn't be uh, more important than uh, than right now involving, you know, everything with the, the terrible things going on in this country and the, uh, the blatant just, like, disgustingness of, uh, with racism and, and, and just, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard not to talk about, you know, we're doing a Goonies podcast now, but it's, it's, it's completely hard not to talk about, but. You know, we're going to try to power through and provide uh, entertainment. And uh, like I said, we will have a a, um, a raffle. We're working on a raffle right now to donate the money to um, the necessary funds, the uh, George Floyd Memorial Fund. And uh, it, it's going to be a good one because it's going to coincide with an episode that we've been planning and we almost did about a month ago. But now I think it's better that we waited. And if you're listening to this, uh, you're going to get a sneak preview of what that episode is. And I'm going to tell you right now it is The People Under the Stairs, which if you aren't familiar with, is uh, was relevant in 1991 when Wes Craven made it. And it is relevant now. So with that said... Uh, we are going to be doing a raffle of some horror movie goods um, inspired by some of the, the great and talented uh, faces of uh, black actors. And uh, these movies, um, you know, uh, some of these prizes may feature, you know, uh, Jordan Peele merchandise uh tony todd may be involved as far as uh some of his films um and that's just a tiny uh sneak peek at uh some of the gifts that will be um up for this raffle uh where we are going to donate the money but like i said uh legacy week is something we are going to continue here uh where we will cover a film and or series um for an entire week and uh, like I said, this is going to be four parts. We have condensed it down to two. So uh, I hope you uh, I hope you in, uh, enjoy the uh, the episode. This is going to be the origin of the Goonies, as well as uh, the cast. We're going to dive into the the cast of this amazing amazing film, 
and also talk about, uh, I should say cast and crew, because we're going to talk about who's involved as far as the great Richard Donner directing and Christopher Columbus, uh, who has known the world over for amazing films, uh, Home Alone, you just got to say that, and his impact is felt, but uh, I hope you enjoy this episode, and I hope you enjoy part two when it airs on the 35th anniversary on June 7th, and uh, yeah, please enjoy the uh, the content that we are creating, and uh, know that, uh, you know, we uh, we stand against the oppression in this country, and always will. Welcome to part one of two of the Legacy Week for the Goonies. Today we are covering the origins and casting crew portion of Legacy Week. Uh, as you heard in the intro, it was initially going to be a four-part series. We have cut it down to two. Um, and uh, so we are going to be talking about the history and the legacy of the Goonies. Now, the Goonies, such a landmark film. Uh, you know, in 1985, on June 7th, uh, this film came out, and uh, it did very well, and I think that is for several reasons, and we're going to talk about that in the second episode, uh, you know, as far as its legacy, uh, the money it made, things like that, but um, if you're listening to this, you already, you're probably familiar with The Goonies. If you have not watched The Goonies, please stop this immediately and go watch The Goonies, and then come back to us. So, uh, you know, in 1984, you know, Steven Spielberg had this, uh, I'm sure it was before that, and I, I can't find any, uh, any information on when Steven Spielberg came up with this story, but Steven Spielberg came up with the original concept, the story, uh, and of course he did because he is such a, a terrific movie maker in his own right, um, but he's such a storyteller and he has amazing ideas that we've seen come to come to the silver screen and and come to come to life and the Goonies is uh without a doubt no exception whatsoever uh so Spielberg's involvement spans the entire operation of this film from inception to you know when it finally they're finally dishing out the popcorn and everything at theaters uh, across the nation and worldwide. Uh, so it was produced by Amblin Entertainment, which if you're familiar with Amblin Entertainment, Steven Spielberg owns. The logo, uh, just a, a few short years later, was the um, the uh, Elliot in E.T. riding over the moon, you know, through the, the shadow of the moon. Um, and it, it was an offshoot of... Uh, I think he, he was involved with Warner Brothers, um, but Warner Brothers, it's a Warner Brothers produced picture, so if you're familiar with Warner Brothers, you know that one Dick Donner, Richard Donner, uh, was very involved uh, with Warner Brothers, uh, the Lethal Weapon movies, and uh, of course, uh, my personal favorite, 1987's The Lost Boys, so uh, uh, Richard Donner uh, goes to direct this, uh, and Steven Spielberg and him worked very um, side by side during the entire process of the film. You know, the film uh, ended up being very su successful. We will get to that in the second, in the uh, the second episode where we cover the uh, the story and run down the whole film and then talk about the legacy. But right now, we're just kind of talking about its its origins. And uh, Steven Spielberg had said, you know, uh, and they had just, uh, Josh Gad, actor Josh Gad had just gotten all, everyone that he possibly could involved with a live stream for the COVID-19 pandemic, um, doing a 35th anniversary, you know, uh, so he got everyone that was alive that was acting in the film, he, he pretty much, he, he got, as well as a 90 uh, plus year old uh, Richard Donner as well, and Steven Spielberg, um, which I'm sure was no easy feat to convince him to come on to something like this, but that shows his love for this film. And uh, I've heard Steven Spielberg in several interviews say that he, you know, wanted to create a film 
that showed the bonds of childhood friendship because nothing is quite like that. And you see that theme throughout the 80s. Um, and I think it kind of lost its steam having, you know, friendship movies in the 90s. I mean, they're there, but they're not as pure and as authentic as movies like The Goonies. And uh, in Stand By Me, you know, you talk about, I mean, that's a that's a great line that uh, Gordy Lachance says in the film uh, towards the end when he's, uh, you know, the Richard Dreyfuss, he's an older version of himself. And he says, you know, I never had friends like I had when I was 12. And I think that's severely true to a, a large degree. And uh, and Steven Spielberg said he wanted to capture what it was like to only have, a, you know, a, a small group of friends. And when you have a small group of friends, when you aren't the most popular kid in school, um, you know, you band even tighter with that smaller group of friends because you don't have anybody else. You have yourself. So friendship, <coughs> excuse me, in that aspect means everything. It's not like being popular when you can go to school and if, you know, you have it out with somebody that you're friends with, it doesn't matter because the rest of the school is friends with you. That's not the case, especially for the Goonies. Now, the Goonies are a, sm a small group of friends who all live on the Goondocks, which are the docks of Astoria, Oregon. The story takes place in Astoria, Oregon, the North, the Pacific Northwest, Um so you, you can obviously see uh, a lot in the settings, the kind of town it is. Very Pacific Northwesty. No, no sun, uh, really. It might peek through here and there, especially towards the end of the film when they uh, have uh, marks to the beach. But, um, but yeah, it's a very uh, – and it just fits the, uh, the aesthetic of the film, I think. For some reason, it just – it just does, and it, it, and it aligns so well with what you would have pictured this small town with this small group of friends in Astoria, Oregon. Now, Astoria, Oregon, obviously, they're right on the Pacific Ocean. Uh, you know, you're talking about a young group of outcast kids who live on the so-called goondocks, which are, you know, the, the boondocks, the, uh, the docking areas, the waterways, of this town in Astoria. Now the cast is so amazing um, for several reasons. Cause you have people that re relatively did nothing. It started on this film. You have people that were very seasoned actors and actresses on this film. And then you had people who would, you know, had been there for a little bit, but haven't really done much. Now the, the filming of this actually was shot in Oregon um, and then <clears throat> portions of the film were shot in Bur Burbank, California, at the Warner the Warner Brothers lot uh, for the sound stages. When you when you look at uh, several different things like the um, like the ship scene and all that, obviously those bigger stages and the the tunnels and the uh, the tombs as they're they're going underground to get to uh the ship and all that obviously that was all on sound stages but the settings and that dreary pacific northwestern but hopeful atmosphere was filmed in oregon uh so you know it's always nice and for some reason when i find out that a film wasn't filmed where they say it is it takes me out of it just a little bit because i know like in halloween i know that's not haddonfield illinois i know it's uh pasadena you know what I mean? And it takes you out of it just a little bit because then you're always looking for something to identify where they truly are. And I know they shot low so you couldn't see the top of the palm trees and Halloween and things like that. But knowing that they filmed in Oregon, you can so, so see it uh, as far as the skies and just the mistiness in the air. Um, and it's, it adds to the film. And it makes it feel, I don't know what that pirate aesthetic is, but it's there. And, you know, this is a film that has that came out, you know, in the middle of the Indiana Jones series as well. A super action adventure. Obviously, you have uh, the 80s were such a golden age for actors, too. But you have uh, Kihon Kwan, who was in uh, Indiana Jones. 
as a short round, and he is in this as data, and uh, he, uh, you know, obviously you're you're seeing these uh, familiar faces, Robert Davi, who you just know from like everything, and uh, Joey Pants, uh, Joey Panolino, uh, and, and Ramsey, and Ramsey as uh, Mama Fratelli, Mama Fratelli is probably one of the greatest villains of all time because she's just trying to wrangle, you know, her her two criminal sons and she's a criminal and the the way that they just cast everything was truly amazing. And uh, so, uh, but, but before we we dive right into the the cast and, and the crew, um, let let's finish up with uh you know telling a little bit more about the origins uh as much as we can find out because there's truly needs to be like a two to three hour uh documentary on the goonies there are some little things here and there and there's a little behind the uh, scenes featurette but for some reason warner brothers really drops the ball with their special edition movies they have a a branch of their video and media releasing division called Warner Archive, where they release older films on Blu-ray and they clean them up. Um, so the cleanups, I can see from what everything that I have, I think the cleanups are done relatively well. Now, most of the time, they include no special features, no new documentaries, and it's just whatever the DVD feature special features were when the the DVD came out on it, like a snapback uh, slipcase or not slipcase, but a snap uh, binder looking case uh, DVD that was popular in the late 90s, you know, i.e. nothing but trouble. There's no special features there. I think there's a theatrical trailer. Uh, you know, even the, you know, Christmas Vacation, there's not even really special features on on that even, too. And a lot of these, uh, they have menus, but they don't go to the main menu. It immediately starts playing the film. So if anybody from <laughs> Warner... Uh, here's this please do better with your um your packaging you're doing all right but as far as getting uh new features and really putting time and effort into your blu-ray releases you could do better and i know they say people don't buy blu-rays bullcrap because there's plenty of blu-rays behind me and my friends have plenty plenty of blu-rays behind them so people will buy it and something is huge in is a landmark of a film as the Goonies is. If you release another special edition of that, you could release a special edition of that every five years, every 2.5 years, and I will buy it. I'll buy it every time. I swear, I'll own seven copies of it. I've already owned like four copies of the Goonies now. I did liquidate a couple copies, but I still have it in a two in a three pack with Gremlins one and two, and I also have it of um, this steel book uh i didn't get the they did release like a nice collector's edition we'll talk about that in the second episode when we talk about the legacy edition but unfortunately the disc didn't have a lot of collector's edition-esque material on it it was more so the packaging which was great and i do have fun stories about that but regardless we're getting off topic so steven spielberg had went on to create you know the story so having the groundwork of the story created by the one and the only Steven Spielberg, Christopher Columbus was tapped to write it. Christopher Columbus is one of the greatest writer, director, producers, probably of all time. You know, he is very, 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 very much influential. And I'm going to give you a rundown of some of the films that he's done that you would probably be familiar with and the mark that he's left on the film industry. So for his writing credits, he was he wrote The Gremlins, 1984. Of course, The Goonies, which we're all familiar with. The Gre Gremlins 2, Nine Months, Christmas with the Cranks. These are all well-known films, well, 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 well-known films. And so as far as his directing credits, they are, you know, you need to, uh, you need to get ready for this because this is impressive too. So his directing credits, are you ready for this? Now, John Hughes wrote the Home Alone movies. He directed them. He directed Adventures in Babysitting three years prior in 1987 he directed Only the Lonely, which he wrote with John Candy and Ali Sheedy. He directed Home Alone 2. He directed Mrs. Doubtfire. He directed Nine Months. He directed Bicentennial Man with Robin Williams. He directed 
Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone from 2001, the very first movie based off the first book. I believe it's the first book. Uh, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, 2002. He directed the Rent movie in 2005. He directed I Love You, Beth Cooper. He directed Pixels from 2015, and that was his last project as far as directing. Now, if you could wrap your head around all that, which is a lot, in their landmark films... Uh, you know, he also is just, his, uh, <clears throat> his studio produces a lot of movies too. So he produces a lot of movies that he isn't involved with directing or anything like that. And the list of those is very, 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 very long. So <clears throat> I don't really need to explain to you how important Chris Columbus is to 80s cinema and cinema in general. He's obviously directed the home alone movies he's obviously directed the harry Potter, some of the the first two or three harry potter movies he's proven himself worthy um and i think steven spielberg had tapped him early on because he had really only written two films uh or two screenplays rather which was reckless from 1984 and the gremlins before he was tapped to do Goonies. And I think Goonies is when Christopher Columbus's career kind of really started to... Gremlins was a landmark, don't get me wrong. Joe Dante directed it, and that was a perfect pairing between Joe Dante and Christopher Columbus as far as a writer-director. Now, when the Goonies came out, I think his real estate went up tremendously. So, 1985 was a integral year for Christopher Columbus. So you have Christopher Columbus's rundown of how truly amazing that was so you're talking about 1985 now 1985 you're dead in the middle of the 1980s you're coming off the success of films like like gremlins you know you are on the heels of uh back to the future coming out another steven spielberg and uh movie he was involved with and you are, you know, the Gremlins had come out the year prior, the Karate Kid. You're talking about these huge movies that were, you know, you needed something for kids. Truly for kids, but it branches far beyond just a kid's film. And it really does. There's no denying that. So Richard Donner, who would, uh, you know, been involved with Warner Brothers for years and years and years and years. Now, he has done a lot for uh, the film industry, in my opinion. And I think, you know, without Goonies, we don't have certain movies. Now, I'm going to refrain from mentioning a certain movie. I've already mentioned several times, and once in this podcast, that I'm not going to mention the rest of the way. Only because, guess what? It's going to be covered on Legacy Week next month. And uh, I hope you enjoy that one, because that one is, it is, if you know me, it's my favorite movie of all time. So we will be covering that, and Richard Donner's involved with it. So you can take that for what you will. But Richard Donner. Richard Donner started his directing career in the 1960s. So he went on to direct several different TV shows. And when I say several, I mean a lot. He did episodes of The Rifleman. Twilight Zone. I think he did six episodes of The Twilight Zone, if I, memory serves me correctly. He did a few episodes of Gilligan's Island. He did the FBI. He did an episode of Jericho. He did three episodes of The Wild Wild West. He did seven episodes of The Banana Splits Adventure Hour. So his start in the industry, as far as a director started, he started directing TV shows. TV shows were very, 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 very popular in the 1960s. Uh, <clears throat> so that's where he got his start. So making his way, becoming seasoned, and keeping, uh, keep you know, keeping his trajectory, if you will, with his directing of TV shows, he went on to do, uh, you know, he did episodes of Sons and Daughters in the 70s. He did a couple episodes of Kojak. So where Richard Donner really, really, truly kicks off as far as a film, a huge film director, is 1976's The Omen. The Omen is a landmark film, uh, often overshadowed by its, uh, you know, a predecessor film of the same aesthetic and, and uh, I guess, story is, is quite different, 
but as far as uh, possession, evil, the devil, things like that, whatever you want to call it, um, the omen is often overshadowed by the exorcist from 1973, but I think 1976 is the omen is just as important as the exorcist. Now, two years later, he ended up doing directing the first Superman film. And that was 1976, starring Christopher Reeves, obviously Warner Brothers, uh, putting that out, uh, involved with Warner Brothers from the get and the go. So he went on to do a couple di- other different films before this one, uh, you know, a, mo- a movie called Inside Moves from 1980. 1982's The Toy with Richard Pryor, amazing, amazing film, uh, a film I grew up on. I am a huge, huge, huge Richard Pryor fan. Uh, him and Gene Wilder, probably one of the greatest comedic duos of all time. So uh, I implore you to all check that out. And he did uh, Lady Hawk right before this, 1985's The Goonies. And again, I know, I understand that he did The Omen and Superman and, you know, movies like Lady Hawk, The Toy. But in 1985, when The Goonies came out, I feel the same way I do. Um, I feel the same way. That um, I, I do about Christopher Columbus. I feel like this elevated him because the Goonies was something that he hadn't done before. He hadn't done uh, a true, you know, children's film that was going to be for adults. That's what I think this is that anybody can like. I feel like if you're five years old, if you're 10 years old, if you're 15 years old, if you're 30, you know, two years old like me, you will still love the Goonies. And uh, I feel like it did elevate him to a different level. He went on to direct the the two uh, two part Cindy Lauper Goonies are good enough, which we're going to talk about that too. We we have to talk about Cindy Lauper and uh, her involvement with the uh, with the film and the song that she provided for the Goonies are good enough. Um, but I feel like after that, like I said, after the Goonies, Richard Donner hit like a lot of his peak and where he would, you know, really rise to like the highest level he did because after that he directed Lethal Weapon and then Scrooge and then Lethal Weapon 2. And then, you know, the, he went on with the the Lethal Weapon series and stayed relevant throughout the, the, the 1990s as well. Richard Donner is very, very uh, old. I mean, he was born in 1930, so he is 90 years old. He turned 90 years old on April 24th of this year. Uh, blessed we are to still have him, thankfully. I'm very grateful for that because Richard Donner has produced my favorite film of all time. He has been involved with at least three, if not five, of my favorite films of all time. So if that doesn't say anything, eh, I'm not really sure what will. I mean, and uh, another uh, Warner Brothers uh, producer, uh, Harvey Bernard, uh, passed away a few years ago, unfortunately, but he was involved with uh, Dick Donner from the uh, the very beginning. He was involved with the first Omen film and the Omen uh, sequels after that. He's involved with The Lost Boys. He was involved with uh, many films, um, pretty much anything Warner was putting out at the time. Um, but his name rings familiar with me. I've seen it very uh, often within Richard Donner's work, especially. He is a very famed producer from the 70s and 80s. So you have, you know, all these integral and reoccurring faces. And you have, you know, ex- executive producers that went on, you know, like uh, Catherine, Kathleen Kennedy uh, went on to produce, you know, Signs, Jurassic Park, Curious Case of ben- Benjamin Button, several of the new Star Wars movies. Obviously, Steven Spielberg. I mean, we don't really need, do we really even need to run down Steven Spielberg's credits? Is it even necessary? You know what? We'll do it. Just just to kind of give anybody an insight if you're if you've forgotten what he's done. So, he started he had has been credited for stories since the 1960s in in smaller 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 productions. Uh he did a short it was written by him uh called Amblin 1968. Uh Sugarland Express, he wrote that story. Uh but he, you know, these are, you know, in 77 I think is where he really becomes uh, more well-known, 1977's uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, uh, one of my favorite films. He also directed that. 
uh, Poltergeist. Now, there is a huge controversy, and you can listen to our Toby Huber tribute episode. A lot of people saying that Steven Spielberg uh, directed it. It wasn't Toby Hooper. Toby Hooper really didn't do this. But as you know, Steven Spielberg was just a very collaborative writer. He wanted to be on set when things were getting filmed. He stood by Dick Donner through much of the production of The Goonies. And he did the same thing with Toby Hooper from The Poltergeist. Uh, you know, three years prior in 1982. So I think people's mistake and try to discredit Toby Hooper on his involvement with the Poltergeist film from 1982 because Steven Spielberg was so collaborative. I mean, that would be like discrediting Dick Donner, uh, you know, directing The Goonies. He directed it, but Steven Spielberg was there the entire time. So it's very rare that that someone who is a director but wrote the story is there with the person who is directing the film who is different from them so i think that gets lost in the shuffle of everything and uh we start making these wild accusations that toby hooper barely did anything on the poltergeist and that's just a a false and and unfair narrative for uh for toby hooper but uh yes uh, so you know he goes on to write the goonies and steven spielberg you know, goes on to write AI, the artificial intelligence movie from uh, 2001. He has uh, involvement with a lot of things. He's so collaborative with everything that he does. And his directing career has uh, spanned uh, even further than his uh, writing career. Although I think his writing career, in my eyes, I think he is a, a wonderful storyteller. And, uh, he can get the that across through his directing, but I did do wish he wrote more than he directed it. But he did, you know, he directed an episode of uh, Columbo. He directed several different TV shows. So obviously, landmark, landmark directing job with Jaws in 1975, one of the biggest films probably ever. You know, and and goes on, you know, to Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, 1979-1941, you know, of course, the landmark, Indiana Jones start, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and then, you know, 1982, E.T., 1983, Twilight Zone, 1984, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, The Color Purple from 1985, Empire of the Sun, 87, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, 89, Always, 89, Hook, 1991, Jurassic Park, 1993, Schindler's List, 1993, Jurassic Park, The Lost World, 1997, Amistad, 1997, Saving Private Ryan, 1998, I mean, you know, the AI movie, Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can, The Terminal, War of the Worlds, Munich, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Adventures of Tintin, War Horse, Lincoln, uh, the BFG, that which is a big friendly giant, but I always say the big fucking giant. My girlfriend gets irritated by that. Ready Player One was the last film that he had directed from 2018. So, I mean, that's an incredible rundown list. I mean, you're talking about probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest, director, creator of all time. And uh, I really wanted to focus on his storytelling aspect more than his directing uh, in this, obviously, because he wrote the story, and that was his involvement as well as a collaborator with Richard Donner and the studio and, and everyone involved in the film. But he, Richard Donner, really captured the ideas of Christopher Columbus and of Steven Spielberg in this film that I, I'm not sure any other director could have if it if it wasn't you know Christopher Columbus himself or Steven Spielberg himself trying to bring that story and that screenplay to life it really is a perfect storm to make all this come together and come into fruition and it's very it's very hard to it's very hard to to create a film i'm sure I, i'm a huge extra special features guy i need to see how everything was made i need to know the process i need to know who was difficult i need to know who is easy i need to know where they filmed i need to know what month they filmed in i'm i'm a sick individual like that i need to know all that information so the star we'll get into the cast now the stars of this film we have sean astin son of john astin as the lead Mikey Walsh. We have his brother making his film debut, Josh Brolin, very, you know, 
hunky, well-known guy now for sure. Um, but he was the 17-year-old Brand, a.k.a. Brandon Walsh, from The Goonies, 1985, making his film debut. Jeff Cohen as Chunk, who uh, did not play uh, did not play anyone. I don't think he was in much after that. He was in a few different things. Uh, yeah, he... Uh, several different TV shows, but this was for all intents and purposes, one, one of his only film, film appearances. It really is. And I, and I guess I never really thought about that. I always knew that this was, he had a very small acting career, but it was limited to TV shows and the, uh, the Goonies. And then you have, uh, Clark, uh, Devereaux known as mouth played by the infamous, I shouldn't say infamous, just famous. Uh, Corey Feldman, just a legend, a legend, an absolute legend of genre cinema and cinema in general. You have uh, Carrie Green as Andy. You have Martha uh, Plimpton as Steph. You have uh, Ki Kwan, as we said, as Data. Uh, John Matusak, uh, who played Sloth, uh, was a former NFL football player, actually, and, and sadly passed away in 1989. Um, Robert Davi, Robert Davi, just a, uh, a, a damn legend. You know, you may know from the Maniac Cop sequels, you may know from Die Hard, License to Kill, Paper, you know, Empire he did, uh, was probably the most recent thing he did as, uh, Lawrence, it was a TV show. Just, I mean, Robert Davi is probably one of the most gifted actors that we don't talk about. You know, he has over 147 acting credits. The guy is a legend in Hollywood. I mean, bar none. The guy started his acting in the 70s. And he he really, you know, for him to do a fun role like this was a departure from things you've seen prior. You know, I'm a big fan of his, uh, his, his role as Max in uh, Raw Deal from the Arnold movie from, uh, from 1986, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he obviously uh, with Joey Pants playing <laughs> playing the brothers uh, Francis and Jake Fratelli, uh, amazing chemistry. Uh, I just can't say enough about it. And you have, of course, Anne Ramsey. Anne Ramsey is probably one of the most underrated from that time. Unfortunately, Anne Ramsey passed away in 1988, just uh, a little more than uh, three short years after the release of the film. At a very young age of 59, it was very uh, unfortunate that she passed away so young, too. And, uh, you know, very, very, very unfortunate. Um, Of course, the mom. The mom of all moms. The mom of all moms. Mary Ellen Trainer, R.I.P. She passed away in 2015. uh, Complications from pancreatic cancer, as it were. Uh, Very unfortunate, because she is the mom of all moms. In my eyes. I mean... She plays the mother, Emily, in The Monster Squad. Come on. We all love The Monster Squad. We did an anniversary episode on that and Night of the Creeps, our anniversary, you know. But she, you know, just, I mean, again, the mom of all moms. You know, Romancing the Stone, Lethal Weapon, uh, Monster Squad, Action Jackson, Die Hard, Scrooge. Of course, my favorite in All Through the House Tales from the Crypt, uh, the very first episode ever. Played the mom, played the wife. You know, Ghostbusters 2, Lethal Weapon 2, Uncredited Back to the Future 2. Just, I mean, you're talking about, you know, Lethal Weapon 3, Death Becomes Her. You know, just, uh, you know, Little Giants played the mom. Like, you know, it's just uh, very unfortunate that we lost her, too. She was, uh, you know, 62. Again, way too damn young. Way too damn young. Very, very... It just it hurts your heart um, thinking about it and just reflecting on it now. It just kind of took me out of it right now because it, it just sucks. It just very su- sucks very much. But we have Steve Anton playing Troy, the the um, the jerk of all jerks, the rich. I mean, talk about uh, being uh, truly hated in the eighties. Could you a uh, a uh, you know a uh, a really jerky white country club dude with a rich with rich parents gets everything. Total dick. Total dick. Just thinks he's better than everyone. Is not 
not a good character at all. Terrible character. Played excellently, mind you. Amazing acting by Steve Anton. Of course, the, the, the very famous line, which we are going to... We're not going to utter in this first. This is almost just a layout and a prep episode for how fun the actual Goonies episode the next one where we talk about we run through the entire film and talk about the legacy that one's going to be the really fun one so mikey walsh played by sean astin is the leader of the group the 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 uh the unannounced i guess leader you know trying to lead everyone and even seems that even though he defers to his older brother on some stuff he is the leader of this group and the brother brand who is a few years older is you know for all intents and purposes uh a part of this group as well, you know, and brand played by Josh Brolin is your older brother. You know, he's the, he's, you know, lifting eighties weights and wearing the cutoff shorts and, uh, total, you know, like older brother type guy. Um, but still unequivocally a goonie and chunk the, uh, the portly fun, loving, clumsy ice cream, loving, uh, water jug, glass water jug dropping a uh, chunk. Mr. Shuffle Shuffle himself. And Mouth is uh, one of my favorite characters. Just he is what he is. Mouth is a mouth. He is uh, smooth talking. He is uh, vulgar. He is comical. He is uh, he's everything that this movie needed, especially played by the, the wonderful Corey Feldman. Carrie Green playing Andy just seems like she's conflicted of trying to be you know a bleeding heart and wants to befriend and be a goonie but would completely you know doesn't want to associate herself with it because she is adjusted to hanging out with uh with old dick face old troy and, and clan just those shitty white country club kids um and uh her friend uh, Steph, a little bit nerdier, doesn't seem like she would be involved with uh, Troy and Clan, but um, friends with Andy, so she is. And of course, uh, Ki Kwan is Data. Data, just uh, the uh, the 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 mechanic, the everyman, the the booby trap, uh, you know, diffuser, the Mister Gadget. He's he is Mister Gadget in uh, every amazing sense and I think his role in this film is completely perfect and amazing and uh, arguably my favorite character is Data and uh, Sloth uh, Sloth's so great played by John McCusack Matusak, sorry, um, and Robert Davi and, and Joey Pants as Francis and Jake um, <laughs> for Telly you're ruining it, you're ruining it just throwing food at Sloth this is going to be so fun to talk about, to get to the actual story where we break down the entire story. It's going to be a lot of fun. And, of course, uh, Mama Fratelli, played by the Anne, Anne Ramsey, the great Anne, Anne Ramsey. Uh, just so much, so much, so much fun. Uh, one of the greatest uh, villains in, in film history, in my eyes. Just that voice, too, that gravelly voice. But she was so... I think as an actress, she was so aware of everything she was doing. It was so fun to watch her work and anything she was, she was in, you know, be it uh, Deadly Friend or uh, Don't Throw Mama from the Train, which I highly recommend. She was just, it was just so much fun to, to watch her and um, that voice. The, oh, I can't even do it. It's so hard to do it. And we're going to have people on for the, uh, the Goonies episode. And uh, the second part episode, I should say, where we, you know, where we run down the entire story of the Goonies and the legacy. Um, and uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, the also uh, Rosalita, who played the maid who Mouth was telling that Mr. Walsh keeps the sexual torture device <laughs> upstairs and tells her where to sort the drugs in the, the chest when... Uh, Mrs. Walsh is trying to explain to or tell Clark to tell her to translate in Spanish uh, how to pack things up because they are moving out of the goondocks. And uh, it's just it's just so <laughs> it's so great. Um, and unfortunately, Lupe uh, Onotervos, uh, excuse me. 
uh, passed away in uh, 2012 at 69. Again, a little too young for me to see that. It's just uh, very unfortunate. So uh, we will try to honor everyone who's passed uh, as best we can as fans of the film. And uh, if you aren't familiar, on the next episode, we will be talking the entire movie. We're running down the entire film. The entire film we're running down. And then we're going to talk about the legacy. What it made, its impact, its video releases, everything we possibly can. uh, Where it stands with us. Uh, And like I said, I'm going to have some guests on. And we're going to talk about that. Uh, But if you're unfamiliar... You know, this is pretty much about the Goonies, this small group of friends, as we've talked about, that are forced to sell their home. And, uh, you know, they have to pay, you know, uh, back taxes. They have to to be able to not be bought out by this country club that's going to buy them out and turn level all the, you know, the goondocks, this, uh, this water, the little waterways community. Uh, and to be, t- it's going to be turned into a country club by you know these really shitty, uh, rich people in the town of Astoria, and these group of misfit friends known as the Goonies are trying to stop it by discovering a possible hidden treasure, possible hidden gems, hidden by the one, the only one-eyed Willie pirate they're looking for these jewels they're looking for this treasure hidden by one-eyed willy after they find a map in the attic of the walsh's house mikey's father works at a local astoria history museum in the town of astoria oregon he has all this these artifacts and history history books and uh, literature and articles on the history of Astoria. And in that, he finds a map and a picture that apparently details the findings and how to get to this treasure of a pirate. And if there... Could I could I explain how awesome this movie already sounds if you've never seen it? If, if I'm explaining that to someone, how do you not think that that's fucking sick? I don't know. That's just me. But regardless, in the next episode, we are running down the entire film. The entire film. And talking its legacy. And this is part one of part two of Legacy Week. And I just want to thank everyone who is tuned in so far. And uh, who is uh, going to be a part of the next episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I can't wait for you to uh, come back and... uh, Listen to part two. You can find us on Spotify, on iTunes, everywhere. Everywhere you listen to podcasts that's relevant, you can find us at the Hard Guy Media Podcast. And we will be back on Sunday, July 7th for the 35th anniversary and to celebrate the Goonies. 35th anniversary, running through the entire film, talking its legacy. It's going to be a jam-packed episode likely over an hour uh i'm gonna try to keep it under two but there's no promise i was initially gonna break this up into four parts so it could be like uh you know uh you know three four 35 40 minute episodes but we're gonna do what we can and we're glad to be providing content with you during these uh insane uh times in uh america so be kind uh be good to everyone, regardless of sex, religion, skin color, everything. Be kind uh, to everyone and uh, support your friends. And right now, uh, everyone of every color should be a friend. And it's really sad that that has to be said. But unfortunately, it does. With that said, we will see you next time on the part two of Legacy Week for the Goonies. Thank you. See you Sunday.